Welcome to the second introductory episode of the American Years Revisited podcast. In this episode, local historian Margaret Hubbard takes us from the end of the Second World War to the Americans arriving in the Holy Lock from 1945 to 61. In 1945, Germany was divided and the eastern section of Germany came under the control of the Soviet Union. The western section of Germany came under the control of the Americans, the British and the French. There was a problem with Berlin because Berlin physically was in the east. And because Berlin was the capital of Germany and carried so much symbolism as that, it was unthinkable that the western powers would allow that to come under the control of the Soviet Union. And so Berlin itself was then subdivided. There was East Berlin and there was West Berlin. East Berlin was under the control of East Germany and the Soviet Union, and West Berlin was under the control of the United Kingdom, the United States and France. It was a flashpoint. And in 1948, that flashpoint ignited. What happened was that West Germany and West Berlin began to work with the Deutschmark. And in West Berlin, this was particularly the case because up until that point, the currency was the franc, the pound and the dollar. So West Berlin was working on a uniform currency. East Berlin was working on the Ostmark, which was the East German mark. And what Stalin and East Germany wanted was the whole of Berlin to be on the Ostmark. West Berlin wouldn't countenance this. And so Stalin and East Germany blockaded it. They cut the electricity supplies and they blocked the roads and they blocked the rail. This was what was called the Berlin blockade. Now, had the Western powers fought their way into Berlin to deal with this, it would have been another land war. So they calculated that it was unlikely that the Soviets would shoot down a plane. And so the Berlin airlift came into being, which was the Western powers delivering what was necessary to West Berlin in order to keep it going. In fact, the planes weren't shot down. They were arriving at the speed of every three or four minutes, and latterly, it was about every 40 seconds. And after eight months of this blockade, the Soviets gave up, and the blockade was taken off, and Berlin survived. It was a massively expensive exercise. It was a huge exercise on logistics, but it had this political aim of West Berlin staying attached to West Germany. The Western powers then continued to support the West German economy. And so West Berlin became wealthy. East Berlin and East Germany was nowhere near the wealth of West Berlin and West Germany, with the result that large numbers of people left the East and moved West. By the time that Stalin died in 1953, there was kind of a hope that this might have loosened a bit but that was not to be. His successor in Russia was Khrushchev, and he put down unrest in Berlin, and then 1956 put down unrest in Hungary. And then in 1958, he demanded that the West left Berlin. The West refused to go. Once again, the Soviet Union backed down. But the outcome of that was the Berlin Wall. In order to prevent people moving from one side to the other, the Berlin Wall was built. Now, you might well ask, what had all this got to do with the Americans arriving in the Holy Loch in 1961, which is the year that the Berlin Wall went up? 
Well, the answer to that is to do with rising tensions all the way through the 1950s. There were tensions all over the place, and Berlin was just one of the major flashpoints. There was a walking of the tightrope going on. There was a genuine fear of Russian expansionism into Europe. At the same time, as Europe, Western Europe was haunted at the prospect of another war. So walking a tightrope between preventing another war and it also controlling Russian expansionism was a major political feat. There was fear also of Russian expansionism into the Middle East and into the Far East. And then in 1956, there was a flashpoint in Suez, which could have ignited the whole thing again. So all the way through the 50s, there was a series of flashpoints and concerns, all of which was embedded in the rising tensions. And then in 1960, a Soviet missile brought down an American US reconnaissance plane over Russian airspace. And that made for a significant shift. Now, all of this was against the background of weaponry. All of this tension and flashpoints had behind it the issue of nuclear warfare. In 1945, the US had the atomic bomb. Now, Britain had been working on nuclear missiles from 1941, but the Americans had got ahead. And at the end of the war, they and they alone had atomic weaponry. Britain was working on an H-bomb, which would be delivered by H-bombers. Both the Americans and the British were working on a system where the bombs would be delivered by aircraft, as they had been during the Second World War. In 1949, the USSR exploded a uranium bomb in Kazakhstan, and that meant that they too became a nuclear power. So now the situation by the end of the 1940s into the early 50s was that there were two nuclear powers in the world with Britain coming up behind. In 1957, amidst all this tension and all these flashpoints, there was a major event took place, which was that the USSR launched a Sputnik into space. If you could put a Sputnik into space, you could put a weapon into space. And that weapon could reach its target in four minutes. So the bombers and the bombs on the bombers were now obsolete because it took 30 minutes to be able to equip and launch a bomber. So the whole situation changed once the USSR had put a Sputnik into space. Now, the Americans had been developing their missiles as Skybolt. And already by the end of the 50s, there was a bit of disenchantment about Skybolt and the suggestion of moving to something else. And the fact that the Russians had been able to get into space made a big, big difference. Skybolt was more advanced than the British weaponry, but it was beginning to be seen to be obsolete even by the Americans. And at that point, the Americans moved into Polaris. Now, Polaris was putting the missiles into a submarine because the Soviets did not have the capacity to detect where that submarine was. Of course, they could launch against a land-based system, but they couldn't launch against a submarine under the waves. And so Polaris was the direction in which the Americans were moving. The shooting down of the US plane in 1960 made it essential for the process to be speeded up. Now, Britain was desperate to be in the elite club of nuclear powers. 
The situation therefore was that the two sides had potential for nuclear weapons, with Britain coming up behind and Britain wanting to be in the supergroup. Britain was geographically ideally positioned. The American submarines that would carry Polaris had to be relatively close to Russia to have any impact. The Americans had not yet developed weaponry that could be fired from mainland America. And so the submarine had to be somewhere within striking distance. And Britain was the ideal location. And because Britain wished to be in with this group, the negotiations began. The American president was Eisenhower. The British prime minister was Macmillan. And Macmillan and Eisenhower set about negotiating this. Macmillan wanted Polaris. Eisenhower was not prepared to give him it. But what he was prepared was to give the British Skybolt. In return for Skybolt, Britain would allow the Americans to put a base in British waters. And so the negotiations continued as to where this would be. Harold Macmillan wanted it at Loch Linney. Eisenhower wanted it on the Clyde. The reason that Eisenhower wanted it on the Clyde was threefold. First of all, he wanted it close to an airport, Prestwick. He wanted access to the Atlantic. It was easier to get to the Atlantic from the Clyde than it was to get from Loch Linney. And he wanted a town, big city, place for the American personnel to go, Glasgow. And so it was decided that it would be the Holy Loch. Macmillan agreed to the Holy Loch, trying to set his own terms. He wanted the UK to have joint right to the nuclear button and also an agreement from the Americans that weapons would not be launched from British waters. Eisenhower agreed to the second condition, that if the weapons were going to be fired, they would not be fired from inside British territorial waters. But he did not agree to the first. Macmillan was desperate to remain in this group. He was desperate to get access to the knowledge that would come with Skybolt, and so he agreed. And so, with no prior parliamentary discussion, it was announced on November the 1st, 1960, that an American nuclear base would arrive on the Clyde. And five months later, that is exactly what happens, and the Holy Lock base came into being. That's it, folks. You were listening to Margaret Hubbard, and I have been Kate Simpson. Next week, we will begin to hear from some of the people whose lives were intrinsically bound up in the American years. Thank you for listening to the American Years podcast.